It isn't just hot outside for runners this summer season, because things are heating up at Running Warehouse. Hoka's breaking new ground this month with the introduction of the CLO Road. Our recent podcast guest, Running Warehouse's Connor Blaylock, called it a nimble shoe that makes you feel connected to the ground, and if you're running a 5K or 10K with lots of tight turns, you're going to feel a lot more confident in it. Featuring a Piva midsole that's light and fast, it's a shoe that you'll want to put on your shortlist this race season. Also just in at Running Warehouse is Saucony's brand new Triumph 21. Last year's version was already one of our favorite trainers of the year, and this year's changes to the upper have made it even better. Get ready to log hundreds of fun, bouncy miles for your marathon season ahead. From the Asics Kayano 30 to the Hoka Mach X to new apparel from Rabbit, there's lots of new exciting trainers and gear hitting the shelves. Find it all today at runningwarehouse.com. everyone and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of the stuff that we're put, putting on our feet. I'm Andrea Myers, and today we have a very special guest with us, Jeannie Halloran, who is a doctor of physical therapy in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Welcome, Jeannie. It's so great to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I am so excited for this episode. I think we're going to just bring a lot of great information to our listeners. Um, I met Jeannie, gosh, a few years ago at a continuing education course, and then we've seen each other at a couple more over the past couple of years. Um, Jeannie is certified in something called Schroth Therapy, which is a pretty well-known treatment for scoliosis, although it's well-known to PTs, but maybe not so well-known to, you know, everyday people. Um, but the way Schroth works, and Jeannie's going to talk about it a lot, it's a curve-specific ex- exercise method for scoliosis. She's You're also certified in the scientific exercise approach for scoliosis, which you'll talk a little bit more about later. And Jeannie is a PT in Ridgefield, Connecticut at Connecticut Scoliosis and Spine. So anyone local who is dealing with scoliosis, I highly, highly recommend Jeannie and her colleagues over there. Um, Jeannie is also an avid runner, which is awesome. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about her running and the injury that she's currently recovering from. So welcome, Jeannie. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Could you tell our listeners just a little bit about how you became a PT, how you got into Schroth therapy, and then a little bit about your running? Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, well, I have been running since about seventh grade. Um, I grew up in upstate New York um, and, you know, joined the modified track team and did things like hurdles and, and uh, triple jump and high jump. Um, and one of the distance coaches just really influenced me. So, but, and she actually happened to be my basketball coach for modified basketball. And I realized I just really enjoyed the conditioning part of the basketball program and wasn't uh-huh. really that much interested in, <laughs> in the ball. Um, so by the time yes. I was in, you know, ninth and 10th grade, I joined cross country and, um, ended up really enjoying the longer distance events. So I, you know, did 3000, you know, in, in track very often. Um, and then by the time I got to college, I ran division three, 
um, up at SUNY Oswego. Awesome. And um, nice. I ran cross country, indoor and outdoor. Um, and I did the 10,000 on the track for outdoor. <laughs> I did the 5,000. Um, even on indoor, but I, I would sneak in. I, I really enjoyed the 3000 and would sneak in the 1500. Um, but cross country was definitely my love. I grew up, um, in the Schwangunks in New Paltz, New York. So oh. I got to run on trails and waterfalls, you know, and, and jumping in creeks and that kind of stuff. So, um, oh, it's so gorgeous. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's not too far from yeah. where we are. So Andrea happens to be probably about five or six miles away from me right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could have done this live. Know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I try to get up there when I can, but I, um, yeah. So, you know, just with running, I, I, I had a friend on my cross country team. Uh, she was, a, she went to school a year ahead of me for physical therapy and I, you know, went to when I went to Oswego, I was a biology major and knew that I wanted to to continue. So I applied to programs and, and I ended up going to NYU for PT school um, and awesome. tried to run as much as I could while I was in school. Um, yeah. So once I left, I, I actually can't. How much running was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but then once I once I graduated, I was on the Westchester Track Club. I, I did three half Ironman. Um, I did my first oh my marathon gosh. in 2006. Um so mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, yeah, running. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You're the perfect person to come on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, from PT school, uh, I worked in a lot of settings. I worked at the New York City Board of Education. Um, I worked at Outpatient Ortho down in Westchester, New York. Um, and once I had kids, I ended up moving to Connecticut and I worked in a really big mm-hmm. orthopedic practice, um, and I saw a lot of post-op and just wasn't, by the time I left there, I wasn't afraid to treat anything because I saw so much. Um, but being there, you know, was, you know, kind of like a mill. You just end up seeing, you know, a lot of things. Yeah. And I just knew I wanted something more. I knew there was more to PT. I knew I wanted to spend more time with with people and patients and and. Mm-hmm. I ended up my massage therapist over in Ridgefield knew Gail. So Gail Fennell is my is mm-hmm. my current boss and and um I just called her up and I said, I think I want to meet you. Um and her, her <laughs> daughter was leaving for college and I was training for the New York City Marathon. I said, let's meet the Monday after the marathon. So I did the New York City Marathon in 2018 mm-hmm. and I met Gail the Monday following a little sore. <laughs> yeah. And I just said, you know, moving a little slowly. Yeah, I walked in the door a little sore and you know, <laughs> well, you know, slowly walked in there. And I, I knew I just I just knew after I looked at our website, I just, I, I knew this was a place for me. Um, we started chatting yeah. and I was like, I think my daughter has scoliosis. I'm pretty sure she does. And she's like, wait, mm-hmm. you know, we got to get her in. And I'm like, and how old is yeah. she? She was eight right. years old at the time. And that's pretty young to, to think mm-hmm. that your child has scoliosis. Yeah. scoliosis. So mm-hmm. um, we got my daughter in with Gail like the next day. Um, and I was signed up for Shroth two months later and spent nine days in New York City, certified, got my first level of certification um, in New York with Hagi Bardashevsky, who is now a mentor. Oh my gosh. Um, but uh-huh. um, I'm, I'm loving working with Gail. She is my true mentor and I, I uh, have been there ever since. So that was from 2019 until now. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Gail is an amazing therapist, and she was the first one in Connecticut to be Shroth certified, wasn't she? She was. She yeah. um, got certified in the States. She's, she's, she actually brought Shroth here from Germany um, and went to Germany. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, uh, she did. She, she has the longest running practice in Connecticut and in the United States, one of the longest running scoliosis practices in the United States. That's awesome. Yeah, you guys have a great practice over in Ridgefield and I really a model for like what PT should be. I really, really love what you guys do and the people I send over yeah, to you yeah, seem to love it too. Yeah, so thank fun. you for taking yeah. such good care of my Ridgefield people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah. So I guess... So you're running now. Um, it, you're coming back from a hamstring tear, right? I am. Yeah. So I guess going back to some, I never had an injury all through college. I didn't miss one meet in high school, college, any race I ever trained for. I never missed from an injury up until about Mm -hmm. 2019. Um, And 2019, I kind of was honestly dabbling in yoga, which I love. um, And we can talk about why Mm -hmm. that maybe had an impact on me personally um, in a not so great way. Um, but I was training for the Chicago Marathon. Um, at my my one injury was I was training for the Chicago Marathon in 2017, and my back and my and my buttock really locked up, and I I didn't really understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of self treated, and I had people look at me. Um, but by the time I was working at Gales, um, I did notice, and she noticed that I think I have a little curvature. So my daughter has scoliosis. Uh-huh. Um, my husband has scoliosis. Um, and I have a little curvature, mm-hmm. which affects my pelvis alignment, which we can definitely get into a little bit more. But I have a little bit of a pelvic mm-hmm. shift with some rotation there. And yeah. it, it just kind of wreaked havoc on me for for then the next few years. And um, I mm-hmm. think... You know, my pelvis, I was getting a little older and things were getting tighter. Um, and I, I was relying on my hamstrings to just pull me, pull me through my runs instead of getting like a nice open gait. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess natural what happens when I get older, but I also had this little rotation in there. Um, so I did have a hamstring tear from 2019, at one of my tendons training for the Boilermaker. And it just, it just bothered me for years. I, I mean, I never could get in a nice groove. Um, but last September, I was taking my dog out to Huntington, which is basically exactly in between Andrea and I right at this moment, on a little <laughs> casual dog run in road, beat up road shoes. And oh. I went into, I hit a rock awkwardly and I went into a full split in the gravel. So oh. listen to whatever Andrea and these guys have to say about putting on trail shoes on trails because I <laughs> tore the rest of my hamstrings and my adductor magnus, my big adductor muscle. Um, and oh I gosh. was out on trails, you know, hobbling and sobbing back to my car with my dog. Um, oh. And honestly, I have to say it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I have a full repair of all my hamstring tendons and I have mm-hmm. less pain than I did from when I tore it in 2019 training for that Boilermaker. So in hindsight, and I, you know, and I'm doing strengthening in a different way and looking at my pelvis in a different way. Yep. So, and that's where I'm at. So I, I actually am up to around seven and a half miles the other day, but in January I was still in crutches. My, awesome. my surgery was on Halloween and I, I walked my, uh, my first mile in January and I did, actually did seven and a half miles. It, it took a while to build, yeah. but um, well, I feel like I'm getting back. Congratulations on your recovery. It can be such a long road, but, you know, now being in July, having that hindsight, like, yeah, 
back in January, I was on crutches, but now look what I can do. And you're building up and building up. That must be a really nice feeling to be at this point. It is. I'm, I'm slow, but I will take it. And, and I think that all the re- research is showing us that running slow makes us fast as long as you just be consistent right. until you're at that point where you can get back yeah. on track. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, today's subjective is, has a back issue ever affected your running? And if so, what did you do that helped? So listeners, if you want to shoot us an email, leave a comment on YouTube, um, comment on Instagram, Facebook, let us know what you've experienced and what has been helpful for you. And I'd like to ask the subjective of Jeannie. So we already touched on that a little bit, but um, how? so when you finally figured out that you had a small curvature, what has helped you the most? I'm guessing Schroth therapy, but um, specifically, what do you do? Yeah, I mean... What sh- so we can we'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of Schroth um, in a little bit, but what we really look at with Schroth is you know where your pelvis is underneath relative to your rib cage. That's just one component of it. Mm-hmm. So um, if you ever come to our office, the office is lined with mirrors, and you cannot rely on mm-hmm. feel. Like we don't know what we right. look like. So I really rely no. on you know getting myself stable using mirrors to watch where my pelvis is. So if my pelvis is a little shifted mm-hmm. to the right and, and maybe a little rotated backwards, because I'll talk about what scoliosis is, and it really is rotational, a huge rotational component. Um, you know, my muscles then are not in a the alignment that they were intended to work. So, you know, I you know, I've had a lot of pelvis, uh piriformis syndrome type stuff, um, you know, and uh, the deep hip rotators. Um, I don't typically have IT mm. band issues, but that's something that if you have a bigger pelvic shift and people that don't necessarily have scoliosis can get these rotations because they sit, right. mm-hmm. they sit in cars and yep. are we sitting like nice and straight? No, we shouldn't be, but maybe we're not moving around enough when we're sitting or standing up and sitting down. Mm-hmm. So if we sit, we can develop yep. these really tight restrictions in a pattern that we hang out in all the time. And it can present like scoliosis. So I can treat, you know, a person that doesn't have scoliosis um, and have to pay attention where their pelvis is. And then you strengthen on top of that once you maybe manage some of their soft tissue and use mirrors and do all the strengthening things that we really need to be doing, um, like lunges. Yeah, it's so... It's so common for people to come in the clinic complaining of like knee Mm -hmm. pain or ankle pain and they've been to doctors, they've been to two other physical therapists and no one can figure out why their pain doesn't go away. And it's so obvious that they have a pelvic rotation Mm -hmm. or some other SI joint issue Mm -hmm. that nobody has evaluated or addressed. And when you fix that more proximal issue, suddenly that knee or that ankle problem either goes away completely or becomes a lot more manageable, and then you're able to actually get rid of those symptoms. I mean, 100%. That tends to be our, our the people that walk in our door, if they don't, um, if they have failed maybe more traditional PT where, you know, they just didn't get the eyes mm-hmm. on them. Um, you know, a lot of times we notice that, you know, maybe it's a 20-year-old runner and he actually has, I've seen this so many times, he actually has a little rotation and he has a little scoliosis. It wasn't enough. Yeah. He didn't need a brace. He didn't need, but he needs to pay attention to where his pelvis is and stabilize around it in that manner. Um, so we end up finding it and, you know, uh, you know, finding scoliosis in adults and, and even kids. I treated a high schooler, no idea he had scoliosis. Been, he was a really awesome cross-country runner and his knee was, he couldn't get his 
me better. Then he started having some back pain and, um, and he, he had some scoliosis and, you know, like taught him where, what, what do you do with your body? How do you have to manage this? So it's really common, really common. Yeah. So for PTs and patients out there, if you, if you're a patient and you go to a PT and the only part of your body they look at is the part that's Mm -hmm. hurting, that's probably not a thorough enough mm-hmm. evaluation. And PTs, just remember regional connectedness. Um, look at the whole body. Yeah. Someone coming in with neck pain, look at their pelvis, mm-hmm. look at the rest Sacrum, of the spine, because yeah. the pelvis can yep, drive a lot of spinal issues further up. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I'd like to move into the main segment of our podcast today. So we're talking to Jeannie about two things. One, scoliosis, because she is the expert here. Um, But then also how treating the spine and the pelvis can be helpful for people who don't have scoliosis, and particularly how the spine and the pelvis influence breathing. Breathing is so important for everyone, but especially for athletes, because our ability to perform depends on our ability to bring air in and out of our bodies. So first, I just want Jeannie to talk a little bit about scoliosis, what it is, how it's diagnosed, and then what you do in your clinic to address it. So very good. So so scoliosis is... um, you know, a lateral deviation of the spine. Um, it can occur in one to four places. Um, and there are four main curve patterns. Um, but the places that are deviated from the spine can either go right or left. And those places that are the most deviated from the, from the spine are also the most rotated segments. Um, so if you think of scoliosis, if you see an x-ray, if you, you know, you would only see a two-dimensional view, but it's three-dimensional and um, the areas that are rotated backwards are the areas that you can see. And that's what, you know, you may see the shift, but you also can see what's called the prominence. Um, and that's the area that you would um, identify first. So, um, you know, it is really common about two to three percent of people in the United States have scoliosis. And that brings us to about six to nine million people um, in the United States. Um, and the identifying scoliosis when you're younger is really important because, you know, you can start to manage it at a younger age. So I feel really, um, you know, lucky that I, uh, and luck might not be the right word, but I got my daughter in quick and I can share a little bit more about her experience. But as an eight-year-old, you know, if you have some curvature, the chances of it progressing are, is, is, is going to happen. And that's what the research shows that, you know, if you have a curvature at a young age, um, and we can talk more about that as well, but, um, and, and how you identify it. Summers are great, a great time to identify it. If you're, you know, family members, kids are swimming, you know, you want to look for um, these shifts. If they bend forward, we do what's called an Adams test. And you can see some, the prominences. So if you see one side of the spine looks higher, a lot of people think, oh, oh, that person's musculature on that side is a lot more developed. And that may be the case. Um, but if it's a true idiopathic scoliosis, um, you know, the, the place that's rotated is you're seeing, you know, the, the spine and the transverse process on that side. Um, there are other types of, and so idiopathic scoliosis is a, um, adolescent or juvenile uh, scoliosis. Juveniles, if you're diagnosed under the age of 10, adolescence is if you're over the age of 10, but under 18. Um, 
is idiopathic. So we don't know the reason. There is a lot of research, you know, out there. It's a, it's a drive in the scoliosis world, but there really has not been one identifying factor yet. Um, and there are some speculations about different hormones in the body and, you know, it, how it affects our, our nervous system. Um, but it is a nervous system um, issue. Um, so, you know, we describe it as the nervous system's failure of the body to control symmetry in the spine. So, um, you know, we are, we are managing muscles when we do our shroth or our exercises, but you're really trying to retrain the nervous system um, and, and uh, you know, teach the, the person where to, how they can maybe put their body. Um, so when I also talk about it being three-dimensional, we have the curvature in the spine, the rotations in the spine, but the pelvis is attached to the spine via the sacrum. So we know our vertebrae and our, and our lumbar spine, or our thoracic spine, our lumbar spine come down, and the sacrum is the bottom of the spine, um, and it has fused segments, um, and it is encompassed by the pelvis. So the pelvis... Um, is also part of the scoliosis. And when I'm looking at somebody with scoliosis, I have them stand. I want to see, does their pelvis shift to the right or to the left? Um, and, you know, that's where we want to, it's part of our management process is where that pelvis is. Um, one of the things that scoliosis also does, which I don't think that people know, is it, it does change the shape of the vertebrae. And I think that's why people think we don't have influence on it. Um, because, you know, how am I going to change somebody's bones, you know? Um, but with the exercises that are pretty specific to that person's curve, you're changing the load on the spine as they're growing. Um, you can affect the way that their, their spine is being loaded. And while they're growing, if they're sitting and standing and exercising in a different way, they, we are having an effect on the, where the bones are growing and how they're growing. Sure. Um, so that's that's interesting, yep. but Bone. we are mostly affecting their soft tissue. Um, you know, that's how we're managing it. But muscles, right? I think a lot of people for either forget or don't know that bone is a dynamic tissue or responds to load. So especially if you're working with an adolescent, that you have a greater probability of changing how that bone develops. Yes. By changing the loading. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so um, sometimes the bones will often grow a little bit more on the anterior side and, and cause us to be a little bit straighter in our upper body. Um, and one of the other things that we also see, especially uh, after COVID, is that a lot of kids were living in a very flexed posture. Um, and our position of our lumbar spine, maintaining this lumbar lordosis that we need, um, that we all need, um, and if we manage it in kids with scoliosis, we can have a positive effect on the spine stability at the lumbar spine. Um, but certainly that is universal. We need to maintain what's called our lumbar lordosis. So if you don't know what that means is if we're looking at somebody from the side of their body, um, you know, you have your, your pelvis and your buttock and you want that to be, you know, nice and level, which we can talk about. And then you want your lumbar spine to have an anterior moment where it goes forward towards your belly button instead of living in a flexed, really flexed position. And then the thoracic spine is supposed to have a natural kyphosis. And sometimes we think of kyphosis as such a negative thing, like we're all, we don't want to become kyphotic. And with runners, it's something that we really have to think about because we get tight. 
Um, but but with people with scoliosis, they develop this anterior um, spinal overgrowth, and they tend to be straighter there, which has a, a, a negative effect on their curve for the stability of the thoracic spine. So um, we are looking at the body in all the directions, rotation, the frontal plane, which is the side shifting that you'd see, and if you look at somebody from the side. And that is something that we should be looking at with everybody, too. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the curvature, the natural curvature of the spine, what you're talking about, kyphosis um, and the thoracic spine and lordosis in the lumbar and cervical spines, that actually is a smart design, if you mm-hmm. will, because it helps the spine accept more load as compared to if the si- spine was perfectly straight. So people who have lost their natural curves or have reduced curves actually have decreased load-bearing tolerance in that region of the spine. Yeah, and what are we doing? We are loading and impact with that impact with our running, so it makes a big difference. Oh, and yeah. Who doesn't know somebody that feels like their spine feels stiff after they run, you know? Right, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, you talked a little bit about, you know, diagnosing in children and adolescents and like what parents can do, especially in the summertime to notice any prominences in the spine. But how do doctors, like, let's say you think that your child has scoliosis. Mm -hmm. What should you do next? Do you go to a PT? Do you go to a doctor? You would go to your pediatrician, most likely, um, and Mm -hmm. and ask them for a referral to an orthopedic an orthopedic surgeon or doctor um, who specializes mm-hmm. in pe- in pediatrics specifically. Um, yep. We are lucky because we live in an area in the tri-state area that we have a lot of doctors that do specialize just in scoliosis and pediatrics. Yes. So, um, but you know, if you're yeah. in other parts of the country, you might need to just find a pediatric orthopedic doctor. And um, you know, you would you they you would ask them for you would encourage them and, and hopefully the doctor would, would give you an x-ray. Um, right. <laughs> so you would get a full spine x-ray. Um, and most of the time you can see where the pelvis is and you would, um, you know, go from the cervical spine down to the pelvis. Um, and, and mm-hmm. from there we okay. would take measurements. Um, and so mm-hmm. I need to see all my our patients x-rays because we take our own measurements. I want to see exactly the areas that we need to work on, you know, and address. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's obvious and somebody will walk in the door and their curve pattern is very obvious. And sometimes it's not. And if they don't fit into an exact curve pattern, mm-hmm. um, so I, I need to see the x-ray and we, we look at what's called the Cobb angle. Um, and the Cobb angle is, you know, the angle that the um, curvature is and you measure that um, and you get a number in degrees. Um, so like I said before, you could have one curve, you can have two curves, but you would want to measure that. Um, and that would give you a, a level of, of severity, you know, where you're at. So if you have a, a curve that is under 10 degrees, you're actually not considered to have scoliosis. Um, and sometimes we can have some curvatures in there from, from specific sports, like maybe volleyball or something like that. And we do develop extra muscle in areas that we're overworking. So those are, are called functional scoliosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a curve that's between 10 and 25 degrees, you're considered moderate. Um, if you're under, if you're under the age of 12 and you haven't grown, I mean, we would expect, and boys and girls are different. Um, we would expect to see some progression of that number. Um, and so you wouldn't ignore it. Um, you would, you know, det- depending on, you know, the, the, the severity of the curve, you would, you would incur, we would have everybody do Schroth or any sort of, um, scoliosis specific exercise program. 
And then if there, typically what it was is that over the um, curvature from 25 to 45, you would do schroth and bracing. Um, but actually what's really um, changing, uh, especially in this area for the better, is that we are bracing kids at, at earlier ages with smaller curvatures. So I see kids in braces all the time uh, at 18 degrees because they're 10 years old. They have so much growth to go. And and they're yeah. seeing huge um, positive uh, changes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the other treatment options, and if the curve is over 45 degrees, I mean, you're a candidate for surgery and that's a really big family decision. Um, and it's, it can be hard. It can be easy. Um, and it does, shouldn't, it shouldn't limit you, um, in what your activities you want to do and, and people do great. Um, and sometimes you can't manage curves or sometimes you do catch them a little late. And that's why we, we talked about catching them early. Watch, look at, take a peek at kids in, you know, in their spines or their shoulders shifted or their pelvis shifted. If you have an inkling, go to your pediatrician, Mm -hmm. share it with them and see what they think. So are schools still screening kids for scoliosis? I remember being screened in middle school again. Yep. That's good. What age do they do the screening? I'm in middle school in the state of Connecticut. And I think uh, they do the girls at age, at seventh grade. Um, mm-hmm. and they do the boys, I think in eighth grade, which to me, I think is a little late. Um, so, yeah. you know, and it might be sixth grade, but my kids both have done it and they, you know, they, they say, my mom, you know, already told me I had some scoliosis, uh-huh. but, um, <laughs> um, but the, yeah, they, they are. Um, and actually I, I, uh, one of my patients this week, his mom's a school nurse and she goes, I just. Uh-huh. something going on in, in my own son and I, I yeah. think we need to manage it and she was right so um so it is happening um but I see pediatricians miss it all the time and depending on, on uh-huh. kids bodies body types um you it can be hidden and certain curves are just harder to see than others so yeah I, I'd say uh-huh. just really show the pediatrician and say you know can you just look at this area and and tell me what you think. And, and extra, we don't have x-ray vision. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I encourage the x-ray. Sure. I mean, um, especially if right. they haven't had exposure to x-rays. Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and there, yeah. there actually so, is, a, is a, an x-ray called the EOS, um, and it's low-dose radiation. It's, it's digital. Because um, mm-hmm. kids with scoliosis actually do need more x-rays than kids that don't. And so now this, this option is here for us, especially, um, you know, they're becoming more popular. That's great. Just briefly, because I think when you talk about surgery mm-hmm. for scoliosis, people, you know, think the worst. Mm-hmm. Like they think about Harrington rods mm-hmm. and, you know, fusing the whole spine. That's not what they're doing these days. So what is surgery like if you do need, uh, if your curve is severe enough? Um, so so they mm-hmm. are still fusing um, and they do try to fuse the least amount of segments that they think that, that the child or the person needs. Um uh, one of the things that has hugely changed, I almost want to say in the t- last 10 years, is when we were talking about um, the lordosis that, and the kyphosis, when they would fuse people earlier on, even adults fusions without scoliosis and they needed it for degenerative changes, they didn't know that you needed to incorporate this lumbar curvature. So if you Mm -hmm. look at somebody that had a fusion prior to 10, I could be wrong now, it might even be 15 years, you know, they they did fuse them straight. That does not happen anymore. Mm -hmm. They now fuse, they're still using rods, but they fuse them managing the, the lordosis. So you have this natural pressure reducing, impact reducing curvature built Mm -hmm. in. Um, 
and they they do it and based on measurements that we take in the pelvis. So everybody has um, specific pelvic measurements based on their body. So somebody's lordosis might be really much more of a curvature than somebody else's. And that may be healthy for them versus mm-hmm. the person like I don't have a lot of lordosis, but that's because my pelvis doesn't it, I have the right amount for my pelvis. So, so they take all these measurements into consideration now, which they didn't before. Um, there is uh, another type of um, surgery called tethering that has been um, in the research. And there, um, it was, uh, you know, we just went to a big conference uh, with the Columbia doctors at Columbia Presbyterian um, Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. Dr. Vitali there is one of the uh, leading uh, surgeons. And and the, yeah. the big conversation at that conference was tethering and what are the implications and, and, and indications. And, and they are still working it out. Um, but, uh, you know, other types of surgeries are on the horizon. And um, yeah, um, yeah it, it just and those depend on where you are and your growth and the degree of the curves and where where the curve is, whether it's in your thoracic spine or your lumbar spine. Um, yeah, yeah. but, but activity level should more will not be changed. For I mean, kids can run with fusion, yeah. kids can play almost every sport. Yep. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I, kids are not limited. Right. Yeah, that's great. And I think that I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people think once you've had a fusion that, you know, oh, you can't play, you can't run, you can't play contact sports and Really, there are very few limitations after those. Yeah. Once you've healed, I mean, we want to get surgeries. them stable, just like mm-hmm. we want to get somebody stable that doesn't have a fusion. I mean, stability right. is important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about how Schroth works. So let's say someone comes into your clinic, they've got their X-rays, you take your measurements. So how do you figure out what exercises to give, give them, and what might their exercises be like? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, we first determine, you know, do they have one curve or two or more? Um, and you want to know the location of the primary curve. So is there a driver or primary curve in the thoracic spine? Um, if it's in the thoracic spine, it has the ribs. So they often tend to be a little bit more easy to identify because you can, the ribs have, have prominence to them themselves and they are part of the scoliosis. Um, and then you, or you want to check to see, is it in the lumbar spine? Um, and then you're checking to see, does the lumbar spine and the pelvis go together or do they go away from each other? And that's that's one of our big identifiers of, of identifying which pattern the um, person is in. Um, and the areas of the curve that are shifted and deviated from the spine um, and are rotated in those segments, we want to stabilize the muscles around the area. So we work on the area. So the side of the curve that's deviated is called the um, is is called the convexity, and the other side of the curve is called that that the curve is not deviating towards on that same uh, segment is called the concavity. The concavity is an area of collapse. So we want to stabilize those positions and our exercises are designed to manage those specific places of collapse um, and rotation as well as elongating the spine. So somebody, I take everybody's height measurement when they walk in the door, uh, sitting and standing. um, And because the areas of rotation are kind of drawing the spine away from midline, as we elongate you and 
give you exercises, which I'll get into, to bring the spine more towards center and elongate, you will often get a little bit taller, not just from growth. Um, and so the exercises we, we do are, you know, we do a lot of work on, if you've heard of wall bars, and they look like a ladder, um, and they're in our facility, and, and they're probably the prominent um design that you think of when you think of Schroth physical therapy, you see these wall bars. Um, and so we always start everybody with a lot of shoulder stability and getting them to start this elongation process so that the spine isn't so shifted laterally and starts to bring it towards midline. So we do lots of things that everybody can do and um, certainly runners because of the impact on our spine. But you are, you know, getting on a pull-up bar and doing some shrugs and some pendulums and just doing some some hanging with some shoulder control to elongate. Um, but then those areas of the spine that are shifted laterally and we have that concavity area, we, we do want to develop muscle around the whole area. So we bring in breathing as a tool. Um, so um, Schroth um, is, it came from Germany. Um, Katharina Schroth uh, had scoliosis and she treated herself and she opened a clinic and this was in the 1920s. And she had 150 people in there at a time um, and, you know, developed this uh, breathing program. It was considered orthopedic breathing to reshape the body. Mm-hmm. So we use breathing as a tool to help us activate muscles. You know, if I were to say, oh, mm-hmm. make your ribs move to the side, get fill in that area. It's, it, you can't do that with just, you know, making your, you know, telling your brain to do that. So we use breathing as a tool. So I would encourage everybody, if you're, uh, you know, listening and you're not driving, you know, put your hands on the side of your ribs and see if you can move them without breathing. You know, you can't. I, I, I actually, you can <laughs> as you develop practicing, um, but you use breathing as a tool. So you take a nice expansive inhale breath to find the muscles that you're trying to activate, you know, and, uh, you know, there's tons of muscles that are going to be incorporated to it. The muscles that live inside the ribs, the intercostals, the, you know, all the scapular muscles, the lumbar muscles, you don't have to name them. You just need to move them. So if you take that nice deep breath, you can change the shape of your rib cage. And so when you expand, you are that expansion process into the ribs gives the spine stability. And that's what the people, you know, people with scoliosis need is you need this sense of stability. So we're really specific where we want them to breathe because the areas that the ribs are shifting towards are the areas of least resistance. So our body will naturally go into those areas and, and breathe more into those areas. And, um, it becomes a little cycle. Um, and, and this also happens with runners. You know, we get tight in our rib cage and where does our breath go? A lot of times to our neck, a lot of times to our pelvic floor. So we use this thought process and this plan to expand the ribs into areas that we need to, to f- help facilitate the muscles to prevent this collapse, bring on stability, um, and then, you know, they're, they are very specific, the exercises, but they're all designed to teach your body what to do because it's not, it's, it's complex. 
but it's also strategies to get the most out of the body that you can. So some of our exercises, you're laying on your back. Some of them, you're prone kind of in a hands and knees position. Some of them, you're on your side. Um, and it's all to get the best plan for your body to encourage this muscle recruitment with the breath. Right. There's a great saying, and I don't know who it's attributed to, but I tell my patients it all the time. Yeah. The body knows movements, not muscles. So yes. if you're trying to target a certain area, so like for your example, getting the rib cage to expand in a certain area, you can't just say, oh, expand your right lower lat- your lateral rib cage. It's just not going to happen. But if you cue someone, and yeah, yeah I know another straw therapist, Carol Ann, <gasps> Um, and she's shown me some things. So like you might cue someone, okay, expand this and like cueing them on their rib cage, breathe into mm-hmm, here, right? Mm-hmm. And the brain is so much better at performing a mm-hmm. movement rather than thinking about engaging, oh, those particular intercostals and that part of your diaphragm. It, it, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think that's a great um, example of that the body knows movements, not muscles saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, but, and the body knows what it knows. And that's why mirrors are so important because you're going to go to the place of least resistance. You're going to go to where the body Mm -hmm. tended to maybe develop some tightness. So you have to use mirrors. I think when you work out, um, and when, you know, obviously you can't when you're running, but what you do outside of running influences your running. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, using mirrors and saying, do, do I look like I'm straight? I don't look like that I'm straight. I didn't even notice, you know, and so using the mirrors right. to guide mm-hmm. you, you know, if you can see what you're doing. We do a lot of videoing with our, our patients and I take a lot of photographs of them because they can't see their spines. We can't see our spines. We're relying right. on me telling them what it looks like. And so we take pictures and once mm. they even visualize it and see it, you can make a lot more changes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And how many times have you treated a patient who has say like a SI joint alignment issue and now their alignment's better, but they feel mm-hmm. really crooked because they got used to being off. So the brain has to relearn what, you know, yes. symmetrical is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we do rely on mirrors. And then what we do is after we kind of gotten through our specific exercise plan, the, the sidelines and the prones and the supine exercises, um, and we use what's called rice bags. We 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 actually bring in, um, you know, these uh, little wedge type things. They look kind of like cornhole tossers, you know, and um, uh-huh. and you place them in there so the so people can feel where the changes, where we want the changes to occur, uh-huh. and it guides them. It's just mm-hmm. a guide. Um, and it also is a little bit of a protection so that you're not pushing into the areas that are already deviating. Um, but then mm-hmm. once we get through that process, we go into what's called integration and, and we integrate it into other regular exercise programs, you know, squatting and sit to standing and, you know, running, jogging in place, standing on balance boards, standing on one foot. You know, you need to be able to do the things that we did in those specific programs in our specific shop program to teach your body what to do. And then you need to be able to use it more functionally. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a huge part. It sounds like it would. Is it relatively easy for people to do these exercises at home if, say, they install like a pull up bar and get some rice bags? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. A pull-up bar is huge. You don't, you know, you can get the ones that are just in and out of the doorways. They're fantastic. Um, you know, oftentimes people have playground equipment in their backyard. Um, but every exercise that we give, you know, we, we try to have a home option. Almost everything is easily done at home. And, and, and when you have scoliosis, it doesn't really go away all the way, even if we're managing it and we've mm-hmm. re- reduced your curve, yeah. you still, you still have a shift. I mean, unless you've had a, a reconstructive surgery, but mo- even then, you know, you still have these, these tendencies for bodies to shift. So I, I my goal is for people to have a, an understanding of what they need to do forever. So they go to college, they're running or not, you know, and their pelvis is a little shifted. They have a plan. And, and if they pull mm-hmm. out their handouts and their little videos and they went through it, they, they can, and, and we often have, you know, people come back after college, especially if they're high level athletes and, and do tune-ups with us. Um, but you do need that time. I mean, the research shows you need that time, which I can discuss. Um, but you need that time with a, a trained physical therapist to guide you. You, 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 you. It's not effective unless you go through that that initial process of learning, um, learning your curve pattern. Because right, the exercises they, are they're so pretty specific. They are specific, specific and it's complex. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and you, not to say that you couldn't benefit from just doing, you know, some elongation, but to get the the satisfaction and the actual changes that you need to make, you do need that uh, more specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned research, and I would love to know what research has been done on troth and what have they found in terms of, like, if someone comes in with, say, a 25-degree curvature, what is troth able to do in terms of changing that curve over the long term? Um, yeah, so good question. Um, uh, Sandra Shriver and uh, Eric Perant and their team—they um, have one of one of the leading studies, um, and it's the effects of Schroth exercises added to the standard of care on the quality of life and the muscle endurance in adolescents with idiopathic scoliosis. Um, and it's a bland, uh, blinded, controlled, randomized uh, trial. Um, and it was it was an awarded uh, an award at the SOSOR conference uh, in 2015. Um, and what they found was that after three months of Schroth um, in a group of of adolescents between the ages of 18, 10 and 18, um, and curve patterns between the the uh, Cobb angle between 10 and 45 degrees, um, they found that their back muscle endurance and their, their endurance to hold their corrections and have endurance in your spine increased by holding by 32 seconds. Um, and the control group without the shroth were only to, able to control their muscle endurance in their back by 4.8 seconds. So that's a mm. huge, you know, number on just how you yeah. can measure muscle, um, you know, muscle endurance. Um, and they also have found we do what's called an SRS-22. Uh, um, and it is a, a patient-reported functional uh, pain, self-image, mental illness, satisfaction um, uh, survey um, that we give all, actually, we give all of our patients, um, but they did it in the same study, um, and the and the questionnaire found um, very big results with um, the patients that underwent the three months of Schroth-specific um, uh, 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 PT versus the numbers mm-hmm. actually went down in kids that didn't do Schroth-specific. Their, their quality. So, um, and that's just one of the studies um, 
Another study by Kuru and Yandel and, and their, their, they did more of a study, um, on the three dimensional Schroth exercises, um, another randomized controlled study. Um, and they found that, uh, in, that the programs had to be well planned and individualized Schroth, uh, programs supervised, um, and a home exercise without the supervision for, for the first three months was not actually effective at all in treating um, at, in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Um, and they did, they did find that curvature is definitely going to progress in adolescence. It's inevitable, um, but the rate of progression was less with um, the shot exercises. So, so there's a lot of studies That's out there great. very similar, yeah. um, but, you know, you do need that plan. Um, you, you really, right. you really need the guidance. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just go on the internet and find exercises for scoliosis and expect to get, you really can't. Yeah. I mean, you can do some, some general habit changing things and you definitely, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in this, we talked a little bit, uh, in the beginning, the scientific exercise approach to scoliosis say as out of Italy, I mean, they've done a lot of researches, Negrini and their team about, just being active has an effect mm-hmm. on decreasing the severity and the Cobb angle. So kids that are active um, versus kids that are sedentary have less mm-hmm. in general or less um, Cobb angle. So being active mm-hmm. is important. Does it have an effect on maybe changing the curve as much? Maybe not, but, but um, being mm-hmm. an active person and, and athlete and um, student has huge benefits. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to see a Schroth practitioner and wasn't lucky enough to live Mm -hmm. here in Connecticut and go see you or one of your excellent colleagues, is there like a database where people can find? There is. Yeah. Um, The BSPTS is the school that I was um, trained in. It's the Barcelona Scoliosis Physical Therapy School. Um, And they have a database, a PT directory, um, and it can tell you, you know, you you could you look it up, you you pick your state, um, you'll see my name in Connecticut, Mm -hmm. um, and it'll tell you if they're level, what level they're certified to. So the the old school was two levels. They recently just um, changed their um, their school structure. So there's three levels. It's all the same information. They just spread it out differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And SSOL um, is a scoliosis and spine online learning. Even though it's under online learning, they are... Um, they do in-person training just like the Barcelona. They have also their own mm-hmm. PT directory by state. So, um, you know, you, you do want to get somebody that's certified. Yeah, definitely. And we'll throw those links into the show yeah, notes for yeah. our listeners if you want to check those out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now I want to move on to talking about running with scoliosis because I think there are a lot of people who think that if you have scoliosis, you can't run, which is not true. So... Can you talk a little bit about if you're a runner and you have scoliosis, what are some things to consider in terms of exercise, um, just preventative measures? What do you do with the runners that you see in your clinic? Um, I mean, so I assess everybody's strength, um, obviously. Um, I watch them run. I watch them walk with or without scoliosis. Um, and what we typically see is, you know, some, some pelvis weaknesses, whether it's the glute meat or the glute glutes or, um, you know, some of the abdominal muscles, but if somebody has a, 
uh, scoliosis, a lot of times their pelvis, three out of the four curve patterns, their pelvis will shift to one way or the other. And with the shift that the curve has given the person, uh, the curve drove the patient to have the shift, um, you want to strengthen the pelvis. So you would watch them, you know, stand on one foot, which you would probably do with runners that are not, don't have scoliosis and, and check their stability there. Um, so you would develop a, a plan and a program that had them watch what their pelvis was doing. You know, it could be simple exercises such as bridges, but if every time you do your bridge, one hip is going higher than the other or more, um, you're getting more out of it than what's happening to that other other side. You're not getting that activation. So we use a lot of things like dowels to put on their hips to see where they're at as far as while they're doing their exercises, if it's not a Schroth-specific exercise. Um, you know, and we um, we gear them up towards exercises that are promoting their curve to be more neutral as well with as well as maintaining their corrections such as exercises as hip abduction. But if you're doing a hip abduction exercise, which is bringing that leg out to the side and your whole spine is shifting while you do it, well, you're probably going into your shift. And so you want to manage that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you learn how to be in your corrections while you do squats, while you do. So if you're squatting and your one tush is going down and your, your, your buttock is sinking, you know, you want to use that mirror. Um, So, after doing the Schroth program, I would, you know, I, I would have them do more of like, you know, the things that all runners need to be doing, you know, deadlifts, single leg deadlifts and squats and lateral step downs and single leg stance and, um, and then hopping on and off the wall bar to get that elongation. Um, and also then, you know, going into what, where their breathing is at. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. encouraging them to expand into those concavities and into those places to get the most that you can out of your lungs and, and preventing that collapse so that you're, you're becoming more efficient with your run. <laughs> um, and, and, but before Running is I'm, all about efficiency. It is, it, it is and we can get yeah. into that. But, um, you know, watching the pelvis um, is, is huge. And one of the things that I, I ask all, all my um, patients and clients is, you know, if you are a student and you're running in college or, or high school or you're, you, you work at a job or you're sitting at a desk, we sit more than, than we probably wish we were. We probably wish we were running all day. Mm-hmm. But if your pelvis is, is, you want to think of it like a bucket. So if your pelvis is dumping backwards and you think that, you know, you'd imagine that water dumping out the back of your pelvis, you're sitting in that real um, posterior pelvic shift. You know, you don't want to sit like that all day. You just put then, you know, shortened some muscles and elongated others. And you lived there for 30 minutes to four hours plus, you know, so thinking right. about where your pelvis in that sense, not just the side shifting, but the the pelvis um, in the same sense, you know, bringing it back to running. Um, if we are getting, we're feeling tired at the end of a long run and our pelvis shifts and dumps forward and we're not, you know, maintaining that abdominal recruitment. Now you're going to lose all this energy and you're going to, you know, your back will get tight you're probably taking deep breaths into these accessory muscles because now your your diaphragm, which we haven't dove into very much today, but yes. we should, um, the diaphragm <laughs> is positioned in, in, a, in a less advantageous way. 
Um, so mm-hmm. you can't recruit this breathing muscle that we have. Um, and we end up using our accessory muscles. I mean, how many runners have tight necks and tight backs, you know, because we're mm-hmm. not moving our middle, you know? So if you don't move your middle, right. your ribs, your spine, your your cervical spine and your lumbar spine will take the load and you're just not going to be as efficient. And we certainly want want to be efficient. <laughs> yes. We're going to get to the diaphragm. Okay. And actually, I think we could have made an entire mm-hmm. episode just talking about the respiratory mm-hmm. diaphragm, but um, we'll try to hit on the key points. Yeah. Um, for runners with scoliosis, though, is there anything that you tend to see with them? Um, is it more common to have pain, let's say, in the knee or the ankle or the hip because of that curvature? And if so, what should those runners do? Um, so, like I said, there's curve patterns that the pelvis shifts. So, if your pelvis is shifting to mm-hmm. one side, then you often you could have knee pain on either side. It depends. You know, I don't always see mm-hmm. one particular side, but if your right. pelvis is shifting, your femurs are going with it. Your femurs are your bones that yep. are connecting to your knees. So, I do see, and I was thinking of that high school runner that I saw. Um, who didn't know he had scoliosis. I mean, you know, patellofemoral, you know, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, in running patellofemoral issues or IT band issues or greater trochanter bursitis. Um, so if you have this deviation, your tendons and ligaments and muscles are set up to work in a specific alignment. If it's deviated too much, you know, you're going to develop overuse in those areas that are just getting, you know, a strain from not being in that alignment. And it all the way goes down, which could totally be another podcast, all the way down to the foot. So if your pelvis is shifted and then, you know, your, your foot's only strong as what your pelvis can manage, but if you have to work, you have to check it all out. But if your pelvis is shifted and your knee, you know, you want to watch your knee in the mirror when you're doing some of these exercises that we already discussed or you want to, you know, put videotape yourself running or, or have somebody watch you run. If your knee is diving in because your pelvis is shifting, well, you could do quad sets and, you know, some even some squats to the cows come home. But if you're bringing your not bringing your pelvis back underneath your ribs, it's going to come back. <laughs> right. So, uh-huh. so I, you know, it's, it's just kind of fine tuning those areas that need more mm-hmm. strength and support and alignment so that you're not getting the overuse at the tendons. So a knee right. injury is most of the time either coming from the foot or the pelvis. Um, yes. And, and the knee is often the victim yes. of the joints above or below yes, it. Exactly. Yes. So that's really common um, in people with scoliosis, but it's also really common in people that don't have scoliosis because it's hard to control right. our pelvis every moment of every step that we take. Um, and that's why strengthening. Yeah. <laughs> strengthening. Yeah. I think that's a really good general point, And we talk about this very often here at Doctors of Running, but you have to look at proximal control, so the pelvis and the spine. If, you know, you've had an Achilles problem for three years and nothing you're doing is helping, well, maybe you need to look higher up to see what's going on there. Um, And that should really be the case for every problem a person has. Look at the whole kinetic chain, not just the area that is hurting. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would say, you know, it is very similar to everybody else. It's just that they're, you're, you have more, I guess, more of a chance um, of developing, you know, some of these types, but I, I don't always, I don't, 
you know, but like I said, somebody walks in my door, they've seen a lot of PTs, they they end up having a little a little scoliosis, mm-hmm. a little curvature, and they didn't know it, yeah. and it's been wreaking havoc on them for a while. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So are there any exercises or interventions that runners or people with scoliosis in general should avoid? Um, so one of the things that um, is, is discussed is... Um, the aspect of rotation. So we all need mm-hmm. some degree of rotation to be efficient with our running and you want to take advantage of all that that natural rotation. And when you have scoliosis, you have too much rotation. Um, so we avoid uh, excessive rotation. We do. Um, you know, if somebody walks in my door and they love yoga, you know, I just try to have them modify the exercises so that they're not hanging out in their extreme rotations for too long. I -hmm. have to say, um, so we just avoid, you know, over, you know, just like the flex postures, you know, I, we avoid sit-ups. Sit-ups are just not, you know, you're forcing yourself into a flex position. I do not let my kids, you know, and if they're taking the PE class test and it's one day, you know, as long as they're not in pain, I said, one day is not going to, you know, really, mm-hmm. you know, damage your spine. But, um, you know, avoiding overflexion um, for the upper curves, you know, we do try to avoid like prolonged extension. Um, you know, if they have a lumbar disc, something, we treat them, you know, with our traditional um, you know, lumbar mm-hmm. extensive type exercises. But rotation is our, our big concern because you're already rotated in segments more than you need to be. Um, and even in my experience with not knowing that I had some curvature, I loved yoga and I loved the way rotation felt. Mm-hmm. I pushed myself. I was, you know, trying to get all that. And and I, actually, I think that's what set me up for some of my personal yeah. failures with running was that I, I ended up rotating so much that I caused mm-hmm. these excessive shifts and, and rotations in my spine. Mm-hmm. So that's just my personal journey. Yeah. But there are mm-hmm. um, people that that do yoga and have scoliosis and they're not limited and they don't have pain. So it's pretty individualized. I think you're back. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty individualized, yeah. um, but that's that's the sense of, of just avoiding extreme rotation. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. But I, I, I do um, not tell my kids that are gymnasts if they have... They, you play your sport, you know, maybe we modify a few yep. things, but you, you, I want them to enjoy their activities. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the importance of spinal mobility and rib mobility for all runners. I think we tend to just focus on our legs and forget about the other half of our mm-hmm. body, but mm-hmm. the other half is just as important for um, proper running gait and efficient running pattern. Um, so can just... Give us a brief overview of what role the spine and the ribs and the pelvis play in running gait. What are they doing in stance and swing phase? Um, and what are some common deviations that we might see in runners? So um, so each vertebrae in our thoracic spine should have about um, three degrees of rotation. We have 12 of them. So you should get about, you know, we should have, you know, around 30 degrees or more rotation in our, in our thoracic spine. And we need that to get ourselves to have that reciprocal pattern. And just like at the pelvis, you know, we need to have that reciprocal motion so that we can open up and expand and get into that lower extremity extension. Um, but our, our ribs have a lot of movement and they get the, they get often on the back burner. Um, and if we don't have, you know, the ribs connect to the front of the sternum and into the back of the spine in the thoracic spine. 
And if the ribs don't have good excursion or lateral movement, our lower ribs move sort of like a bucket handle, we, um, we lose our efficiency. So if they're tight, and I'm not sure, I just want to make sure you guys can hear me because your screen is running. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we lose that, We you know, as we run and as we get older, we do, we get tight in our rib cage. We take a lot of breaths. I mean, we are breathing, you know, uh, you know, significant high, high amounts and, and at force, um, with, especially with a faster run or a longer runs. Um, and if we're not getting those ribs to laterally deviate, then you're going to push the, you know, you're going to push that loss of motion into the cervical spine or the lumbar spine. Um, and if we use our diaphragm, if you think of the diaphragm, um, it's a dome underneath the rib cage. And it connects into the front of the ribs, into the sides of the ribs, into your back. And, you know, I would take another moment and ask everybody, you know, take a nice deep breath. And where does your body move? And if you're not getting some movement into the sides of your ribs, then you're probably not using your diaphragm very efficiently. And if you're not doing that when you're sitting, how imagine that you're probably not doing that while you're running. Um, so when, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, going back to yoga that we've learned about belly breathing, it's a little bit oversimplified because you don't want to just push air into the front of your abdomen. You need the ribs to move. So when you take a full inhale, your diaphragm is dropping, you're filling up your lungs and those ribs need to move outward. And that's one of the things that I think we got back to Schroth is that stability comes from that expansion moment that we have when we inhale, we're using it again as a tool. Um, and so if you can open up those ribs, you get more oxygen to the places, you know, it's not just oxygen, but you're getting more use of other areas in your lungs. You can probably hang out and run longer without, without um, compensating and without losing the pelvis. So if we lose that, you may have some extra pressure down into your pelvis. You may have some neck trouble. And if you're not getting the ribs to move laterally, your pelvis, you might get these dumps in your pelvis. And those are one of the patterns that we often see is, you know, the leg that's stabilizing you while you're on your stance phase needs that stable moment of, of the ribs as well. And the abdominals on the swing phase need to hold that pelvis up. So if you kind of lost that natural pumping system of our diaphragm, your stance phase can't support you. You might, and your abs are not supporting you on your swing phase, you might drop. And that's, that's that, that, you know, common um, pattern that we see. Or you might develop more of a crossover mm-hmm. pattern because you got to get your foot on the ground quicker yep. because you're not, you're mm-hmm. not being, you're not as stable as you can be. So I use this, I use expansion and think of it as stability um, and, and finding those areas in the lungs that, that we can to be more efficient and getting that drop yep. and that lift, which affects us yeah, hugely I, it, with our with our um, viscera and our organs we, we rely on that diaphragm as a pump and if you don't you know things break down yeah yeah the di- and gosh we could uh-huh. do a whole segment on mm-hmm. how all of the diaphragms in the mm-hmm. body interact with mm-hmm. each other and the movement of them but we'll leave that mm-hmm. for another time but I think something people might think about is if the diaphragm pump isn't working correctly, that's going to end up putting abnormal pressure on your pelvic Mm -hmm, diaphragm. mm -hmm. And 
runners who might experience urinary mm-hmm. incontinence when running, jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the respiratory diaphragm can actually be quite helpful in addressing those incontinence symptoms. Huge. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, I, that was, I think the information about just the lateral rib cage expansion is so helpful for people. So that would be a simple thing for them to work on is to just put their hands on the sides of their rib cage and work on getting that outward expansion instead of just focusing on belly breathing. Um, let's just very briefly talk a little bit about the sacroiliac mm-hmm. joint and its relationship to the spine and lower extremities, because I think that that's another overlooked thing in evaluating runners, but it can be a source of pain at the SI joint. It can be a source of pain elsewhere. So just tell our listeners what the SI joint is and a little bit about what it does and how it influences our gait. Yeah. Um, So um, as I described earlier, we have our lumbar spine, there's five segments, and at the base of it is the sacrum. Um, And the sacrum is encompassed by the pelvis. So where that pelvis meets the sacrum is a a horseshoe-shaped, really, there's quite a lot of surface area, more than you'd probably think. You really have to pull out a skeleton and look, Um, but of that joint, the SI joint. Um, And we need the SI joint Um, You know, there's a lot of speculation that you don't need, you know, we're talking millimeters of movement that we need there. Um, But what what often happens is, you know, if we have a shift or we're not as stable with maybe our stance phase, you know, and every time you hit that leg on the ground, your other hip drops. I mean, that SI joint is taking the load or it's going to freeze up and not take the load to try to become stable and you lose millimeters of movement. And that believe it or not, it's very painful. (laughs) Um, So you're just building pressure in an area that doesn't want that much pressure. Um, And it can affect, you know, the way that you activate, you know, uh, the pelvis, the hip muscles, the deeper hip rotator muscles that connect the sacrum to the femur. Um, And they they get tight. I mean, who doesn't want to roll out their bottom when they come home from a run? I mean, those muscles are working every step we take. Um, Is that going to fix all your problems? No, but, you know, it gives you some relief. Um, if it becomes quite painful, you may need, you know, somebody to assess your flexion and your extension and what is happening with the sacrum while you're moving, not just when you're static to see. And that would be a key to knowing, um, you know, if you're seeing the person that you need to be seeing is, are they checking you what you look like while you're moving, not just when you're standing there. Um, and so you need those millimeter movement in that joint and it's, it can be very uncomfortable if it's not moving efficiently, effectively, if you don't get those little, um, nice shifts to absorb the load of the run. Right. Yeah, and because your sacroiliac joint is essentially the other half of your hip mm-hmm. joint, if mm-hmm. you will, because sacroiliac joint, sacrum and ilium, your ilium is part mm-hmm. of your hip joint. If your ilium isn't moving normally or if it's not positioned correctly, that can affect the alignment of the hip joint, which then can either cause hip issues, cause patellofemoral issues, potentially cause foot or ankle issues. So your SI joint is essentially the thing that connects your spine to your leg. So if it's not doing its job to transmit force, that force is going to go somewhere else and cause problems. Yeah. When I talk about the pelvis, I mean, the pelvis is the socket to your, your femur, your hip, your, your true hip joint. So yeah. Um, And that's what's the SI. Yeah. So I loved the suggestion about working on lateral rib cage expansion. Are there any other 
general exercises that runners might do to improve their thoracic mobility? Um, so going back towards some of the, the hanging on the wall bar, I mean, if you get that nice length and hang, you can do your, your shrugs from there and opening it up. Um, this is not a scoliosis exercise, but I do encourage my runners um, to do some kind of like a thread the needle type exercise where you are on your hands and knees. Um, and a lot of times, if you see the exercise being done, you think of ha- your hand. So you're on your hands and knees and you're in your nice alignment. Your knees are underneath your hips. Your hands are underneath your shoulders. Your neck is nice and long. You would slide one of your hands between your knee and your shoulder, um, between your knee and your hand underneath you to get that rotation. And, and what I encourage people to do is make your ribs move you. Don't just slide your arm underneath you and and sort of hope for the best. You take your nice deep breath and on your exhale, you use the ribs and the muscles we've been describing this, that whole universal core and trunk to guide your body into that rotation. So, and being on your hands and knees is a nice safe position to work, you know, especially for mm-hmm. So I do that thread the needle exercise, but again, I really focus on yep on that rib motion. Um, but really I incorporate the expansion breathing into everything else that we do. So if you're, you know, Mm -hmm. doing your hamstring stretches, if you're doing your squats, you know, it's really something that you need to do with other things. There's not that many specific, just you're just doing rib breathing exercises. I do a lot of shoulder Mm -hmm. extension, pulling down it when you're laying on your back, um, and, you know, using rubber bands sort of, um, like a lat pull down even you can do, but you're focusing on the inhale and up, exhale and down. Um, So you incorporate inhale with your expansion. When you're exhaling, you want that stability as well. And you want to um, engage those anterior ribs, bringing the ribs Mm -hmm. back inward when you're exhaling. So, and I do Mm -hmm. it on my slow, long runs, slower, even shorter runs where you're not really focusing on speed. You don't have a workout. You're not in a tempo. Mm -hmm. That's when you can take those nice expansion breaths and just count out loud, like in two, three, four, out two, three, four, um, and slowing your breathing down while you're on a long, a slow run. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And even where, you know, as a cyclist, one thing that I really worked on was being able to slow down my breathing while I was going yes. hard, like yes. getting out of that like chest breathing pattern and taking slower, deeper breaths, which one makes you feel a little calmer mm-hmm. and less like you're over the limit. Mm-hmm. But two, it actually has physiological mm-hmm. benefits in terms of how you feel, um, your heart rate, uh, yeah. just your overall rate of I mean, that could exertion. be a whole other so podcast with the moving of the diaphragm and the vagus nerve and yeah. your sympathetic nervous system and all of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're making a list. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess once a yeah, month. <laughs> yeah. But getting those ribs to move, get those ribs to move. Don't don't neglect them. Just incorporate it into your into stuff you're already doing. And if you're not doing stuff, do a little bit more. But. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. A Truly. Huge thing. It's just, just you got to acknowledge basic, it. Yeah. 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 So um, any other, I, you know, like we said, we could talk so much longer on so many more topics, <laughs> but do you think there's anything we haven't touched on that our listeners might benefit from with what we've already discussed today? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think I got into, you know, I think I touched upon, you know, getting that pelvis, thinking of it like a bucket. To me, that's pretty key Mm -hmm. Um, when you're sitting, when you're running. uh, Actually, I would say when you're running, you know, if you notice that your pelvis doesn't feel like it's level, put your hands on your hips and say, oh my gosh, my front of my hips are Mm -hmm. way in the, my front of my, my pelvis, those iliums are tilted forward you know, pull them back Mm -hmm. under just a little bit and you're, you'll make your breathing more efficient, your pelvic pelvis more efficient, the connections from your rib cage. You know, I think one thing that I didn't touch upon is stacking and it's so important in trough or setup, stack your rib cage on top of your pelvis, just, you know, a bit more and think of it while you're in a run. Don't let yourself get too, and it's not about being like super tight and rigid, just put, just acknowledge it, bring it back to your, you know, a little bit of your cognition of when you're out there. But if your pelvis is dumping forward and you really feel those front hip bones coming down, you're going to run into trouble. And so just pull that pelvis back a little bit. Don't flex your spine. You're just going to neutral. Um, They talk about it in the Mm -hmm. movie Prefontaine in kind of a funny way. I won't bring it up, but if you wanted to watch it, that would be, you know, he he touches upon it. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, just, you know, finding that pelvis underneath you, I think I didn't address enough with, you know, while you're, while you're running. That's a great tip. And maybe it would be helpful for people like check your pelvis in the first like couple miles of your run once you're warmed mm-hmm. up and then compare that to what you're doing at the 100%, end of the run. Because right. like you said, everybody is going to have a different normal pelvis position. Yes. So you're not going to know what that is for you unless you feel it before you get tired. So that might yeah. be a good way to totally. check yourself. I mean, I look at it this way as like we're willing to take supplements and vitamins and electrolytes and awesome shoe gear, um, you know, yep. just pull this into just this is just like it's it's pretty effective. You can be more efficient mm-hmm. with just a little bit of attention. Right. And it's free. Yeah. <laughs> Shoes are much more expensive. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. One so. last question, Jeannie. What shoes are you running in right now? Oh, gotcha. So I wear, you know, I, I wear ultras. Um, I I um, really like the wide toe box, um, but I'm experimenting. Yeah. Um, I I just bought some some Sauconies that I used to wear, um, and I'm I I'm going to go get the uh, I and I wear some Topo, and I don't know which ones they are, but I'm going to mm-hmm. go get the ones that you recommended because I think after. Listening. Oh, the cyclone. Yes, too. I yeah. think that one's for me, honestly. Yeah. Um, nice. So, so that's my next on the list. But I'm kind of going back and forth between some topo, some ultras. I, I, I really mm-hmm. like the wide, wide toe box for me. Yeah, yeah. Ultras coming out. I think I read with a non-zero drop mm. shoe soon, so I'm excited to test that one out. So, so and because I'm coming back from my hamstring yeah. repair, I'm just bringing on the mileage. I will probably listen, you know, and, and pick out a shoe when I'm back towards, you know, gearing up for racing. But I have a whole year ahead yes. of me of just some nice base training and <laughs> yeah, yeah, build yourself yeah. back up. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been just an awesome episode. I think our listeners will learn a lot. Um, We're going to put in the show notes where you can find Jeannie online. Um, Please leave us a review. You can find us on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, anywhere you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, 
Anchor. Um, We really appreciate your reviews. They help us grow as a podcast. Um, So thank you everyone for listening. And thanks again, Jeannie. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope to maybe run with you someday. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. (laughs) All right. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.